Amen. Thank you, Tony. Hey, good evening. Merry Christmas. I want to welcome each of you here. My name is Kenan Vaughn, and I've got the uh, unique privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harvest Church. I know Christmas Eve is normally a night where uh, you may be a guest here, and you may not have been to Harvest before, so let me just extend to you our sincerest welcome. We are so glad you're here to worship with us on Christmas Eve. And, uh, and we welcome the children. Don't worry. If you've you got a baby that's screaming or something, no worries. Uh, all of our babies scream, and we're glad they're here, and uh, we'll enjoy their screaming together. So uh, I want to look at this passage again, and just want to kind of walk through it again with what was uh, just read by Alicia. Uh, thanks for reading that. And uh, we see what's commonly referred to as the Christmas story. It's ultimately about the birth of a king, King Jesus. Uh, and if you read any ancient history, uh, you find that when it comes to the birth of a king, there's almost always four things mentioned. And there's almost always the location because... Uh, uh, we, uh, the location of where a king is born usually speaks to his greatness, like capital city, capital of the empire, prominent city, whatever it is, speaks to the greatness of the king. And then there's the lineage. Obviously, the king is born of usually a king or queen or prince, princess, or some cultural blue blood that makes sense to everybody. So the lineage speaks to the greatness of the king. And then there's the conditions that the king is born in, the king to be. The conditions that he's born in, whether it's the palace, the castle, the pristine conditions that surround, again, all kind of shout to the glory and splendor of this uh, king-to-be. And then finally, there's the witnesses. And the witnesses is the idea that they would bring heralds in to see the birth of a new king. And the heralds would then take the news that the king had been born, and they'd take it out to the entire kingdom, to the highways and byways, to shout that the king is here. And, um, and the heralds usually were men of great status because the, 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 the splendor and glory of the king kind of rested on um, their credibility as witnesses. So in almost any ancient history birth story of a king, you get location, lineage, conditions, and witnesses, and all of them shout of the greatness of the king. And yet here we have a birth uh, over 2,000 years ago. Uh, where we are going to get, Luke's going to walk us right through like any good historian does. He's going to walk us right through location and lineage and conditions and witnesses. And yet it's not exactly going to shout greatness. And so let's see if we can figure out why the highest of high is going to be ultimately brought to the lowest of low in the narrative that Luke gives us. So the story begins with Caesar Augustus, who is the king of Rome. Uh, pretty big deal in that day. Rome, the biggest city, the largest city of this Roman empire that existed on earth, the greatest empire of its day and even of uh, all of time until that point. And so he's a pretty big deal. And, he, and the story begins with he's taking a census to tally up and find out how many subjects does he have in his kingdom. And so he's going to count. I mean, this is what a, a ruler would often do to kind of proclaim his greatness. Like, look how many people are citizens in my kingdom. And so as Caesar Augustus is trying to make known the uniqueness of his greatness, there's going to be a babe born in a manger that's going to uniquely make known the greatness of God. Okay? And so watch how this unfolds. First location. You ready? Okay. Um, all went and registered each to his own town. So there's a guy named Joseph. He's got to go up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That's where he's from. That's where he had to go to register by the decree of Caesar Augustus. Well, Nazareth and, Bethle Nazareth and Bethlehem are the two towns mentioned here. And so when you think Nazareth, it, it's, a, it's a small country town, kind of exists off the beaten path. You could maybe pull in, stop there for a night or so on your way to maybe a bigger city. Think, uh, I wanted to kind of put this in our context, in our language, somewhere near here. And I looked at a map and kind of labored over a few, and I went with Munford. Okay? So when you think Nazareth, you're kind of thinking Munford. Now, there's no offense to anybody that's from Munford. I think Munford seems like a really nice place from what I can tell. But when you think the king of the earth, 
is being born. I mean, that's what we sang, right? When we sang joy to the world, we said, uh, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. This isn't even just king of Roman Empire. This is king of the earth. You don't normally think, check Munford. All right, let's see what's coming out of Munford. King of the earth supposed to be born any day. No, you normally think like the little gal in the video. I thought, I mean, I'm, I would have been with her. New York City, right? I mean, that's London, maybe, Rome, Moscow, Russia, not Moscow, Tennessee. I mean, but you normally don't think Munford. It doesn't just scream, here comes the glory of the king. And yet Bethlehem, whatever, if Nazareth is really kind of like a Munford, Bethlehem is just something far smaller. In fact, I was looking like, what could I possibly, but if I chose anything that was so small, so remote, I don't even think we'd have heard of it. So let me just give it to you this way. In uh, where my grandparents' ranch is in Texas, now all the ranchers and the cowboys, if you kind of say, hey, where are we? Like, because it's in the middle of nowhere. You say, where are we? And they'll say, this is Possum Trot. That's what they all say. So I just took it growing up that we're in a city called Possum Trot. Until I got old enough to kind of look at a map and say, there is no Possum Trot on the map. Like, no one recognizes this except for you guys. And they say, well, where are you from then? City Slicker. So I'm like, well, it says here, Welder. They're like, that's three miles yonder ways. Well, Welder, if you want to know this, the nearest thing you're going to find on the map, it's a one intersection town. I don't even think I can say one stoplight because it's just a blinking yellow. So this one intersection in Welder, no town square, no nothing else, it's the only landmark. So if you're in Welder and you're lost, you just kind of say, hey, are you south of the intersection? Are you west of the intersection? That's all you need to ask because that's it. That's Welder. And that's kind of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a blip on the radar of the, of the first century landscape. That's it. So let, let me just start. Location, nothing of the location of where Jesus is going to be born reeks of greatness. You with me? It just speaks to the mundane, to the ordinary. And then Luke continues and he tells us about the lineage. Uh, he says he's, Joseph's going to be registered with Mary, who is his betrothed. That's like his fiance, who was with child. So get this, in the Roman Empire, the Jews are second-class citizens, and uh, within the Jewish race of second-class citizens, you have males and you have females. The women were even lower in their status than the men. And then you had so low that it would have been not even registering on the status quo would be an, uh, an unwed teenage Jewish girl. Now, that's what we have. They're engaged. They're not even married. And she's with child. She's, she's going to be, honestly, in their culture, just considered a disgrace. And there's the lineage of Jesus. Young carpenter's 20s unwed, pregnant teenage gal, nothing about the lineage, culturally shouts, royalty, here it comes. And then Luke continues and tells us about the conditions. He says, while they were there, this is in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And after she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inns. Notice the inn. Bethlehem's only got one inn, all right, and they're lucky to have an inn. And so no place for them in the inn there in Bethlehem. You know, I've been through um, four births at this point. That was my wife that gave birth, but I was with her, all right? So I've been there. I was a part of this deal. Four baby boys. And every time I kind of tell you how this thing goes, when we are, uh, you know, 35 weeks pregnant, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, the radar and the antenna are up. And we know can happen. We pack the bags. We have all the emergency stuff we need where we need it. I mean, we're ready, like, at any time. But inevitably, all four times, whenever her water finally breaks and it's like go time, I just, I just panic. I start running in circles around the house. I have no idea what I'm looking for. And, uh, and my wife's like, hey, over here. Like, I'm, I'm the one having a baby. And so it's, oh, yes, you know, I lock it in. I go grab her, chunk her in the car, or lay her gently in the car. And, um, and then, you know, channel my inner NASCAR. And it's the one time 
where I just feel total freedom to ignore all driving laws. And I go to the hospital as fast as I can get there, and we get out, get one of those little wheelchairs. I'll wheel Catherine in, and there's some nurses there smiling. They want to answer your questions. They want to talk to you about what's going on. They've got a nice room prepared for, for you in minutes. It's warm. It's clean. Uh, clean sheets, clean instruments. Again, team of nurses there prepared to help you, asking you, can, uh, can we get anything for you? Would you like an epidural to dull the pain? Would you like some ice chips to suck on? Now, let me not minimize uh, labor uh, for any of you ladies. It looks super-duper intense, okay? <laughs> a very painful thing. Uh, and yet, the conditions that we experience and take for granted today, I mean, what, safe, secure, incredibly sanitary. And those are kind of our basic conditions that when we see and experience childbirth and when you ladies who have had children, that probably was pretty similar to your experience. And when you're finished, when the, when the child comes out, they take it, they check the vials, they clean it up, they put a little you know, gown on it, put it in a little plastic container deal, a little hoodie on, soft. I mean, everything is just neat, nice, safe, secure, sanitary. Not so with Jesus, the conditions of the king of the earth. Are you ready? Uh, the time came while they were in Bethlehem for her to give birth, meaning she was 40 weeks pregnant when she went from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's about 90 miles. And surprise, you get a donkey, ladies, all right? 90 miles, you can either walk or you can ride the donkey. And either way, that baby's going to come out. And so they get to Bethlehem, and here comes the baby. And, uh, and you can just imagine, they didn't show up at the Bethlehem Inn to a, a, a team of nurses, smiling faces. How can we help you? Is this your first time? Um, there was no clean room. There wasn't even a room at all available. I mean, they had to go and just kind of clean out some space with the animals in a little stable cave nearby. There was no one asking if she wanted an epidural. There was no ice chips. I envisioned Mary being there, being, being pretty afraid, in a lot of pain, in a lot of anguish, wanting this baby to come out, not knowing how it's going to happen. And I picture Joseph there. My goodness, poor Joseph. He's, he's got to figure out how to deliver a baby. And that, that's where they are. Let me just push pause on the story right here and say there's nothing about the conditions of the birth of this child that shout, this is the king. Behold the king. Nothing. And then you got the witnesses, and, uh, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. That's perfect for our story. The shepherds who were the lowest of the low of the low on the totem pole, who were uh, literally crooks and villains, who um, had so, 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 they weren't even trusted in their own culture. Two of their witnesses corroborated together to make one testimony that was reliable. They were offensive, unclean. They weren't even allowed in the temple. And these are the guys. Remember, the status of the witnesses speaks to the glory of the king. The shepherds are going to be our witnesses. And so let me just state the obvious. When it comes to the telltale factors of the greatness of a king, the location, the lineage, the conditions, and the witnesses, you and I couldn't have gotten together and written a script that was more lowly or more humble or less impressive than that of Luke chapter 2. And it's the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask that question, why would the highest of high be brought into the lowest of low? Because that's what happened. Jesus Christ, divine, gave up his right-hand seat at the Father's side to come and be born in this manger. Why would the highest of high be brought to the lowest of low? And let me, let me say... Um, my favorite part of every day of my life is when I put my boys to bed. And right now, the, the little guy, he's still in a crib downstairs. But the older three, I'm upstairs with them. And before bed each night, we hit our knees and we pray. And we have a little, you know, Caleb almost always goes first, and then Luke, and then John John, and then me. And when I'm done praying, I say, all right, hug him up. 
And when I say hug them up, they pop out of bed, and kind of one at a time, I get to pull them close. And this is not just like a bro-dad hug, you know. In this moment, I, I pull those little rascals close. I mean, I, I get both hands, and I squeeze down on them. And I squeeze until I literally flatten their chest out against mine. I squeeze until that little gasp of air goes out of their mouth. And I know I can't squeeze them any harder. I'm going to break them. And right there, I am literally trying to be as close as I can possibly be to those boys. Without even realizing, here's what's going on. I want to be so close that I am just in their messy little worlds with them. I want them to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I'm not just head of the household dad who, uh, who has authority over them. I want them to know that I am daddy who is with them and who loves them in the midst of their mess. And so I pull them as close as physically possible and I whisper in their ears, I love you so much. And every time I say that, they smile, they beam, and they like to say, um, how much, Daddy, how much do you love us? To the moon and back. And I say, oh, way more than that. I say, well, to the moon and back and around the world? And I say, hey, I love you even more than that. And Caleb gets real smart. Caleb goes, so you're saying you love us to the moon and back and around the world in infinity? I say, hey, buddy, even more. He says, Dad, nothing's more than infinity. And I say, hey, listen, my love for you is. My love for you boys is beyond measure. You can't get your hands or minds around it. It's more. And one day Caleb said, hey, Dad, you don't love us as much as God loves us, do you? And I wanted to say, mo. You know, he had me on that one. I balked. I stopped in my tracks. And I said, gosh, you know what, Caleb? No, I, God, no, I don't. You know, matter of fact, I can't possibly love you as much as our God does. And Harvest, I want you to hear this. The reason we know that our God loves you and me, and Caleb, beyond our ability to understand or measure, is not merely because he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross that we be forgiven of our sin. Listen, it began before that. The proof is when he sent his only begotten son to be born of a teenage virgin in a stable cave outside of Bethlehem so that he could be with us in the midst of our mess. Literally so that he could communicate somehow to us the depth and glory of his love by the very proximity of his presence. So that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem to an unwed teenage Jewish girl, witnessed by shepherds in the worst of conditions, is to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that in the midst of our messy little lives, we are loved beyond any ability to measure it. So our God came to be with us. He wanted to be up close. He wanted us to feel it. It's as if he squeezed us until that gasp of air went out. He said, I love you. Why would the highest of high be brought to the lowest of low? Jesus wasn't Caesar Augustus. He wasn't in all of his pomp and circumstance trying to be Lord over us. Listen to me. He was born as God with us. He wasn't merely here to reign over the peoples of this world. He was here literally to rescue us. 
And so Caesar Augustus was consumed by the desire to make known his greatness. Jesus Christ was consumed by the desire to make known his love. So he became one of us. So that he could identify with us in our sin and yet without sin of his own. Why was that so important? Well, watch what the angels declare. They say, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, somebody here in this room, somebody got dragged here. Somebody, mom said, hey, you got to come. Do it for me. It's the one time. Somebody's here with a friend. Somebody just didn't want to be here. And this message of Christ, you've convinced yourself in your mind, it's not for you. According to the angels, that, that broke open the skies to declare the good news of great joy of the shepherds. They said it is for all people, not just the religious, not just the churchgoer, not just the Pharisee, not just the good, whatever that means, person. For every person in the midst of their broken mess, it's for all people. And what is the good news? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Gosh, I love it. Not an example Like, here's how you ought to live. Not, is born to you a great teacher that'll tell you how to get it right. We still screw it up. Unto you this day is born a savior, meaning one who can literally save you out of your sin. How is it possible? You and I, in our sin, broken in our relationship with God, and the wages of our sin is death, according to the scriptures. Death. So the only way possible for us to be rescued out of our sin is if somebody else can pay off our wage. And if he's going to pay our wage, he can't owe the same wage or he can only pay his. And so Jesus, born of a virgin with no sin of his own, would ultimately die on a cross to pay not the wage that he earned, the wage you and I earned. He died in our place and for our sin. The babe born in Bethlehem would die a criminal's death. But you and I could go free. So I, Paul, would write to the Corinthian church, he who had no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. God's great. And so the king of the earth, born, literally born to die so that we might have life and have it abundantly. What a king, what a gift. What a gift. You know, tomorrow morning is notorious for gift exchanging. Well, you'll probably gather around a tree. I know I will. I'll be awakening to the, to the shouts and cries of laughter and joy probably in the middle of the night. And we'll do a lot of uh, exchanging gifts. And um, you may have someone handed to you in a very civil way. Probably won't be the case for me. I'll have stuff being thrown at me in every direction. But listen, a gift, we're going to be exchanging. We're going to be giving and receiving. And what you've got to do to receive a gift is really two things the best I can figure, and this is simple. I'm an Auburn grad. You gotta know it's for you. You gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta have your name on it. And again, my boys will make very sure that I'm not opening their gifts. It'll have my name on it. I'm not touching it. All right, it's gotta be for me. It's gotta have a name on it. It's gotta be for me. This gift is for all people. And then you gotta like receive it, whatever that means. You, you've gotta take it. You've gotta open it. You've gotta own it. You gotta make it yours. To receive this gift. I want to tell you the greatest gift you'll be offered won't be under a tree tomorrow, won't be from a loved one, won't be in any other circumstance beyond what was found in a stall wrapped in swaddling clothes in Bethlehem. So great the angels literally declared it from the skies to the shepherds. 
unto you is born this day a Savior. It won't get any better than that. My encouragement to you, if you're here tonight and you've never received the gift of Christ, there's a verse the Apostle John talks about what it means to receive the gift of Christ. He says, but to all who did receive him, got my name on it, and it's for me. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The invitation I want to give you, if you've never done this before, would be to just just agree with God on your sin. Say, Lord, I am a sinner in every way in need of a Savior. And you sent your only begotten Son to be brought forth wrapped in flesh that he could know me and be with me and be like me and yet have no sin of his own, that he be crucified in my place and for my sin. And you receive the gift by saying, I put my faith and I put my trust in his sacrifice for my sin. And John says, in that moment, you become a child of God. You know what that's called? That's called salvation by grace. I didn't earn it. He did through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never received the gift of salvation, I've asked uh, Deanna and Caroline Hardy to come forward. They're gonna play a beautiful song. It's, it's What Child Is This? You'll probably recognize the tune. And I asked him, I said, would you guys play a song of reflection? And I'm gonna leave these words on the screen. And here's the deal. While we listen to the words about the child born in the manger, literally a child born to die in our place for our sin, if you have never received the gift that is Jesus, that you would pray some kind of a very simple sinner's prayer. Put it in your own words. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I receive him as Lord, as King, as Savior. You pray those those words tonight, you'll receive the greatest gift, the gift of Christmas, the gift of Christ.